Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. Are you still trying to figure out what specialty you want to practice once you're a physician? Go check out our Specialty Stories podcast at specialtystories.com. This is the pre-med year, session number 217. Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years. I'm glad to have you here, whether you are here for the first time or you are joining us again for not your first time. I'm, I'm glad you are taking the time to listen to me today. I have a great guest today. I have Eric Chu from Kaplan, and he's the executive director of the pre-health programs, which means he's in charge of the MCAT prep at Kaplan. And we sit down and we're going to talk all about the MCAT 2015, the survey that Kaplan did of medical schools and how they are using the test and whether they think it's helping or hurting. We're going to talk all about whether or not a prep course is necessary and so much more. Eric, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here. So talk about your role with Kaplan. I'm the executive director of pre-health programs at Kaplan, uh, which is just a fancy way of saying that I manage our programs for the MCAT, DAT, OAT, and PCAT. I've been with Kaplan for going on 16 years now and started as a Kaplan instructor, taught my share of MCAT classes back in the day. And um, I'm happy to say that I am no longer qualified to teach for Kaplan <laughs> because both our standards have improved and I'm just not as science expert as I once was. But I'm glad to have a great team of both product development and content developers working for me, as well as, of course, our uh, hundreds of pre-health faculty members who uh, get that job done. How do you end up in a role as an instructor and now where you are now? Were you pre-med at some point? Uh, you know, it's actually a good question. I was never formally pre-med. 
I was, however, a Taiwanese American student in college. And so, you know, stereotyping influence, there was certainly at least some <laughs> potential for that to be my career pathing. Uh, I actually graduated my undergrad degrees in electrical engineering, also very stereotypical, and sort of fell into teaching for Kaplan along the way. And that really inspired me to think about education as a career path from there. So uh, I wasn't um, necessarily on a track to go to medical school, but many of my friends were. I obviously had some science aptitude and really enjoyed the science of learning and being in the classroom. And so fell into management roles with Kaplan along the way and you know, spent a lot of time working directly with the undergrads, especially the pre-medical groups at my alma mater, the University of Maryland, College Park. Go Terps for those out there, or Fear the Turtle, which I'm a little ashamed <laughs> to say. <laughs> Very uh, but scary. I've really enjoyed um, the opportunity to not only work with these tests, which are obviously a, a hurdle, the MCAT, especially to students getting into the right school for them, but especially to, to work with so many inspiring students over the years who really are interested in not just building a career for themselves, but finding ways to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in our society. You know, it's, it's a pleasure for us every day to be uh, involved in one part of that process in helping students to own the moment with the test. So with your role at Kaplan, and we'll focus on, obviously, the, the pre-med, the MCAT side. Things, you've been there for 16 years, you said, things have been pretty quiet, other than Kaplan trying to to do better and create better tests and help students more. Things have been quiet. And then the AAMC comes out several years ago and says, surprise, we're changing everything. What, what in your mind was the impetus behind that huge change? It's interesting. So first of all, I'll, I'll question the premise just slightly. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. This is, uh, in 2015, the largest test change in a generation for the MCAT. But it, it's important to note that the MCAT is an evolved, like every standardized test, is an evolving exam and was prior to the test change. There were, you know, subtle changes in the content areas and in the sort of proportions of different content on the blueprint as, uh, as the test was, you know, in its pre-test change state for 20 years or so. But I think in particular, the, the sort of overarching answer to your question is the AAMC is serving the med schools and the med schools want an exam that helps along with lots of other factors, helps them to make good informed decisions about which students are most likely to succeed in their programs. And so uh, the AMC as primarily a research organization did their homework on this. They surveyed and interviewed med school deans and admissions officers and faculty and um, and advisors who are part of the pipeline to get students into programs and really were looking to see what it is that they could do to improve the effectiveness of this one score in predicting student success in medical school. And in fact, it's going to be a couple years yet before we have a lot of real longitudinal data to sort of prove out the hypothesis that the changes to the exam 
do in fact better help schools to make those difficult decisions between applicants. But at the very least, some of the research the AMC has already been doing, they did a specific study around the validity of the PSBB section, the uh, psych social section. They uh, have certainly continued to talk to the medical school admissions officers on how they're using the new exam and provide some guidance for that. All of that is, I think, going to, over time, result in a pretty solid affirmative yes that uh, the changes to the exam are allowing med schools to make better informed decisions. Let me come back to one part of that. Very specifically, the addition of behavioral sciences and biochemistry are one of the things that's easiest to remember about the new test is that those were sections of content that were not tested on the exam previous to the test change and, uh, and have now been added in. And, and maybe even one of the most intimidating things about the new exam is that uh, students now have to be prepared for three additional prerequisite semesters of coursework. But th there's a good reason for both of those changes. Biochemistry was, in fact, one of the subject areas that med school faculty uh, said was most likely to inform whether students were able to succeed in their coursework in medical school. And psychosoc, similarly, but uh, in addition to that, the idea that Behavioral sciences, as healthcare continues to move in a more societal direction and less mechanics of the human body, I think it's important for students to have that background. And med schools are doing their part in changing the face of medical school education so that doctors are better prepared to practice medicine in, in this world. You talked a lot about the research that the AAMC does behind their testing and talking to schools and everything. I've always heard random things about the MCAT's ability to predict or determine who's going to best perform in medical school. And, and, and maybe this is anecdotal stuff that I've heard, and I, I haven't really tried to dig into it myself because I, I don't really think it affects what I do personally working with students. But from your understanding and your knowledge – if I have a student that comes to me and says, I, I hate the MCAT, the MCAT stinks, and, and it's so hard, and why do I need to do this? What's the point? I have a, a 4.0 GPA, but I can't get above a, a 500 on the MCAT. In your words, if I could steal your words, what should I tell this student? Should I tell them that it, it helps medical schools know how well you're going to do in medical school, how well you're going to do on the boards? Where, where does that correlation come in? I would say both of those things. I, certainly, that's how medical school admissions officers are, are using the score, among other factors. It's important to note that for each individual student, you know, med schools are looking at a holistic review of admissions factors, including that 4.0 GPA, which, by the way, is going to be extremely attractive to every medical school admissions officer that opens that student's portfolio. And yet, in our survey results, uh, year after year, Kaplan does a survey of med school admissions officers, a phone survey every year. One of the things that comes up consistently is that a low MCAT score is the most frequent application killer among admissions officers. And to dig a little deeper into your question, the why behind that, I, th I think a big part of it is that GPAs, 4.0 GPA is good no matter where you went to school, but GPAs are not standardized. It depends on the program you're in, the teachers you chose, and the students are using uh, RateMyProfessor.com to <laughs> actually select the professor that is uh, most likely to give them an A in class. That's one of my pet uh, and peeves. So there is a component to GPA, and, and that's not to say that 
most pre-med students are gaming the system in that way. But there are, there's a non-standardness, to coin a word, to, to GPAs. And so it's, it's harder for schools to know exactly what that means on sort of a, a standard scale against which they're measuring all applicants. Uh, the MCAT is, in fact, the only number, aside from perhaps your SAT scores, if they cared about that, that is uh, on a standard scale for every student. Now, the AAMC is also doing a lot of work in fairness initiatives to try to figure out how they can close some of the gaps that exist between, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds and uh, underrepresented minority backgrounds in the the scores that the test produces. But at the end of the day, I'll, I'll give my response to the question I do get from students and sometimes from their parents uh, <laughs> about what if I'm just not a good test taker? Mm-hmm. I always have two responses to that. The first, you know, is, is a quick, unfortunately, you have to take the MCAT. <laughs> it is a required part of the process. And there's some early admin prob- uh, programs that you might not need it for. But for the most part, it will be a required part of the process to becoming a doctor. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's not the last test you'll have to take. So you mentioned the boards. Uh, in fact, one of the things schools are very concerned about is ensuring that their students are well prepared to do well on the USMLEs or COMLEX exams so that they can get placed into the right residency program for them, uh, and not just that, to get licensed as a, as a physician. And so that that is something that um, schools do care about, that you have the aptitude not just to perform well in school, but to perform well on exams that are going to be a gate to you actually building your career in this profession. Uh, but the second thing I'd say to somebody who says, I'm just not a good test taker, is there's actually not no such thing as not a good test taker or a bad test taker. There's only bad test preparers. Uh, and so it's really about figuring out whether it's worth the investment. Your, your student with a 4.0 is a great example. That student who's struggling to get above 500, if they can unlock new ways of preparing for exams, for the sake of the MCAT in this current uh, time frame, but also so that they have a new capability, uh, a new skill. This is very sort of growth mindset. I don't mean to be uh, <laughs> dismissive of the challenge that it is to improve your test-taking skills and your preparation strategies for an exam. But if they can do that, then they'll actually put themselves in a better position, not just to get into the right med school of their choice and to carry that strong science aptitude into a program that's going to help them continue their education. It's also going to allow them to be better preparers for all of the tests they have to take beyond the MCAT. And so the idea that it's not done, one and done, you can't just do well in the MCAT and then never look back and never have to take another standardized test is, is another good reason for students to really think, how can I work on building a capability set that will help me to be more successful in my career? Because unfortunately, that's part of the process for uh, becoming a physician. I will never forget the intensity and frequency frequency of tests during medical school, you become a professional test taker. It's test after test after test after test. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. And, and a lot of students are complaining about the, the, now the, the length of the MCATs being eight hours long. And I said, it's a great, it prepares you for the boards, which is eight hours long. And, and it, it's, it's a stamina test, a, a test of your stamina to sit there for eight hours with a few breaks here and there, but that's just as mentally 
challenging as as reading the questions and going through it and and so it's i i think it's a step in the right direction i i think it it's frustrating for a lot of students to to see that thing um being most likely outside of sat and act this is the first time that they've taken such a huge test that has such a big repercussions for their future for the students that and and the parents that call you and and talk about this do you ever give them advice on first steps to to become better test takers or better preparers outside of taking prep courses are there other things that students can do there, there absolutely are. Uh, and actually, one of the first things for the MCAT especially, but I think this is probably true for a lot of the exams that students will take in med school and on the boards, learning to read critically is just a foundational skill that, by the way, the AMC is directly testing in the critical analysis and reasoning section, uh, skill section, but also throughout the other, even the science sections, because they are primarily about 75% passage-based, the ability to read critically is something that Unfortunately, a lot of students with science aptitude who are self-identified as, you know, science nerds early on do less of than many other high school and college students. You tend to read your textbooks for to learn concepts and to memorize the right facts and formulas that are going to benefit you on test day for your final exams and midterms. What you don't do a lot of is reading for the sake of understanding how to glean the information you need out of the text that you're reading. And in fact, most MCAT passages aren't going to be found in your textbooks. Uh, they're more likely to be found in periodicals and other, you know, and journal publications. And even in, you know, uh, in the car section in the Wall Street Journal and uh, The Economist. So one of the pieces of advice I, I give a lot of students, especially early on in their careers, is just become a voracious reader. That's hard to do. It's actually not that easy. Some people just naturally enjoy it. For others, it is, um, and in particular for students for whom English might not be their native language, uh, it, it's actually challenging to get into reading in the way that it's challenging to get into running or you know some other uh, athletic endeavor that takes discipline and practice and um, a commitment to doing it every day or every few days. But if you do that starting out early, it will certainly improve your ability to read critically, not just in the content areas that are covered in the MCAT, but just in general. Even if that means, you know, starting easier <laughs> with fiction and just getting into um, the habit of reading, uh, that's, some, again, a capability that I think will serve uh, students throughout their lives, but certainly will get them on the right track for preparing for a, a passage-based exam. The new MCAT didn't have repercussions just for students. It had repercussions for medical schools and how admissions committees evaluate students. There's an extra score in there now, and the the scale is different. Part of the survey that you guys did, talk to schools and and ask them how they're using this and, and if it's working, this new MCAT. Talk about some of those survey results and if schools are liking this new system or not liking it? What did you find? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with a, a little anecdote because uh, I think it's uh, helpful for students to understand. I mean, it is a big change for students. It's um, also a big change for medical schools. One particular admissions officer I talked to, actually in the just 
one or two months leading up to the new exam back in early 2015, and I, I won't name the admissions officer <laughs> for the sake of his or her privacy, but and perhaps his or her school's reputation. <laughs> uh, the admissions officer mentioned to me, I, I asked exactly that question, you know, what, what do you think about the new exam and how, how is this going to change your plans for this coming ap- application cycle? Um, and the first thing the, the admissions officer said was, I just had a meeting last week with our IT department and we don't even have a way to hold a three-digit score in <laughs> our system, in our database. <laughs> so that's job number one. And uh, and so it's funny, some of those, you know, just logistical things uh, are part of the uh, challenge that med schools are going through here, um, not to mention the bigger picture questions of how will we use uh, another section score, how will we compare students especially this last two admission cycles, applying some with old scores, some with new scores, some with both. There are students who took the old exam and then retested with a new exam as well. And so number one, the the AAMC has uh, been trying to help medical schools with some guidance around this and some some uh, data about uh, students who are testing both, ta- both on both tests. Um, but the, the, the question about how do admissions officers feel about the new exam? Uh, I think the the headline of our uh, press release around our, our survey last summer was uh, med schools cool to the new MCAT following its launch. Uh, you know, it's a little bit um, less dramatic than that. Uh, the reality is prior to the new tests, schools were very bullish about the new exam's the opportunity that the new exam represented to make better decisions. And uh, and we saw that in our survey results. In fact, just last year, 68% of medical schools said they felt like the new test would be an improvement. So over two thirds of uh, the admissions officer we survey. This year, it shifted to a majority, 52% saying that they weren't sure whether the new MCAT would better prepare students for their programs. Now, that's not a no. In fact, uh, only 6% said it would not. And that's the same as it's been over the last two years. But it is a a sort of wait and see signal that I think really has to do with, number one, the absence of data from their own student population, which, you know, if your listeners didn't know this, schools have been collecting data from the beginning of the inception of the MCAT on how MCAT scores for their program predicted grades in their medical schools. That is just a thing that probably, I don't want to say it in an absolute, but probably every medical school or almost every medical school is doing to improve their admissions process. And second, there's been plenty of sort of transient challenge in this period of time when some students have scores from an old exam for which schools have 20 years of data on how that predicts success in their program. And Many students now, the majority of students this year, applied with new test scores from a new exam that schools are going to have to learn more about over time. That doesn't mean a student who took the new exam is at any sort of disadvantage. On the contrary, I think because of that, schools are probably prescribing even ascribing more of a holistic approach than even in years past. But it does mean that there there's more work to be done on the med school side before they can sort of fully sign on as they had been optimistic about it prior to the test change, fully sign on to say this is a positive change. From your own data with students that have been working with Kaplan for a while, 
maybe with with the old test and the new test, have you seen just from the old test to the new test any dramatic shifts in in scores increasing or decreasing or somebody that gets a a a 26 on the old test is going to get about a 500 on the new test and there's there's really no dramatic shift the the AAMC did a good job scaling it again i'll answer the question in two ways i just a habit of mine so i apologize <laughs> for doing so uh one um the first remember that just like every other standardized test the mcat is a scaled score so in fact per section and then even overall your performance is relative to the other test takers the rest of the test taking population. So uh, I know this wasn't how you phrased the question appropriately so, but you know, sometimes students ask me, did, did the test get easier or harder <laughs> with the advent of the new exam? Well, as long as the test taking population is basically the same, the test didn't get easier or harder, it's, you're still competing against the rest of the pool. However, it could certainly have gotten easier or harder for each individual student in terms of the content they're more familiar with And during the test change period, we did have plenty of students who wanted to know, should I try to take the test before it changed or wait until the new exam comes? And a lot of our questions about that were around, you know, how do you feel about biochemistry? Uh, Have you taken psychology or sociology yet? How did you fare in those courses? You know, it's and now students don't have the choice, so it's uh, (laughs) probably not worth spending much time on. But for students who are now facing the new exam, the, the broader scope of content that's covered on the new exam represents both a challenge and an opportunity. So, so the second answer to your question is, you know, do students prepare differently or are they seeing better results or worse results with their preparation? I think the, the biggest challenge that I've seen from students and heard from students is how to focus one's preparation when now the blueprint of the exam covers 11 semesters of prereq coursework. In the, on the old exam, it was pretty clear that the physical sciences section was half chemistry and half physics. And, you know, if you were strong in one or both of those areas, you could focus less on that section. And that the, you know, now the bio-biochem section, then the biological science section was going to be a certain percentage of uh, biology and a certain percentage of organic chemistry, and there was some genetics mixed in. And that was the scope of that section. And you could focus not only your content review, but also your practice on specifically the types of passages that you wanted to work on most. On the new exam, there's a much greater integration of science content within all three of the science-based sections. Uh, and what that means is, you know, not that students can't start with one content area to focus on, but that they have to be much more holistic in their approach to the sections and to the test, focusing on the highest yield concepts across all of the subject areas, rather than just focusing on physics or just focusing on organic chemistry, et cetera. And I think that has been a challenge for students to, you know, map their study planning and think about how to use their time most efficiently. It's certainly something that at Kaplan, we've, we've been learning a lot about over the last couple of years, as we've had tens of thousands of students take the new exam after going through Kaplan programs, their feedback has really helped us to improve our approach to making MCAT preparation even more efficient. What do you see as the biggest mistake that students make in preparation for the MCAT? Easy answer, starting too late. 
pre-meds are stereotypically type A personalities, so are doctors. Uh, maybe a correlation there, I'm not sure. <laughs> but pre-meds are also extremely busy. And it's easy to procrastinate something that you're intimidated by or just not that excited about. <laughs> One of the things that I would encourage them to do, even a year out from when they're planning to test, to start thinking about what their plans are for preparation, to get a book set or start looking at videos online and start acclimating themselves to the types of content and the practice that they could start to do even that early on. Our courses average between two and four months duration, but we also give students the option to extend their preparation for up to a full year. In fact, I think this podcast will go live after we launch this promotion, but in the month of January, students can get their prep extended for every 2017 test date. And, and that is not just a marketing gimmick for us. That's really a nod to the idea that students who are planning to test even in September of 2017 can start their preparation now in January. In fact, whether it's with Kaplan or some other prep resource, the sooner you begin, the more value, the more benefit you'll accrue from the prep resources that you invest in. So, uh, the I, you know, it's never a bad piece of advice to start anything earlier, I think, but especially when it comes to MCAT prep, and maybe the, the particular feedback that I would give is there are some students who say, well, I think I should cram for the MCAT because I'll remember it all on test day if I've studied it more recently. I'd ask you, when has that ever worked out in your life where postponing your preparation for an exam or, you know, procrastinating on that term paper ever helped you to do better on it because you did it right at the last minute? That's, that's definitely not the approach I would uh, recommend. Yeah. And the MCAT is a little different than a physics test that's testing your knowledge of a few equations and the understanding of those equations. Just, just, right. just a little different. Last time I checked. So, Eric, before we talk about all the new and exciting stuff Kaplan's doing, any other MCAT 2015 stuff that we haven't talked about that students should know about? Yeah, I think the one other thing, uh, you mentioned the marathon of an exam that the MCAT is on test day, that it's uh, literally an eight-hour testing experience in terms of total seat time. I think one of the other things students sometimes forget is that practice doesn't make perfect realistic practice makes perfect. Practice eventually in a test-like environment, a test-like interface. One, one story I have is from a student who told me after taking a different test, not the MCAT, that on the day of the exam, they were just freaked out about the fact that it was so quiet in the testing facility. And I said, well, what did you expect? <laughs> that like the testing facility would be quiet. But uh, in fact, the student had done all of their previous practice, not with Kaplan, I should mention, uh, they'd done all their prior practice with their headphones in and listening to music. And it's a, it's a funny little thing, but if you, if you forget that you're preparing for test day and you just get into the, I'm going to practice some problems and learn the content and develop some strategies, you, you forget that in the end you have to perform and, you know, 
in state dependent learning mode, you should try to put yourself, especially in those final few practice tests you take before the exam, uh, in as close to the test-like condition as possible. We also recommend uh, that we that our students therefore hold on to the two, now only two scored AMC practice tests that are available. We, we offer those as part of our Kaplan courses, but we uh, we recommend that our students hold those to, to the last few weeks before test day. So they're doing practice earlier with tests that are also very realistic, but that they have the sort of most realistic exams from the test maker available in those last few weeks for that final dry run before their exam date. All right. I like all of that. So let's talk about Kaplan. Kaplan, obviously, as any test prep company, had to gear up for this new test what new and exciting things are you guys doing to help students prepare for the MCAT? Yeah, I'll start with, you mentioned that the AM, the AMC came out with their you know, MR5 recommendations several years prior to the test change, as they had to do in order to start doing the psychometric work they needed to do in order to write the new exam. We also were able, therefore, to get a huge head start on not only the new content areas, but really reinventing our program for the new test. And so specifically, we put in about 30,000 hours of MCAT expertise into our books for the new exam, our course for the new exam, and in particular, building out something some of your listeners may have heard of already called the MCAT channel, where Kaplan's MCAT program is now focused not on putting every Kaplan student through the exact same 100 plus hours of one-size-fits-all lecture, but instead getting every student the core lessons they need on test-taking skills, strategies, and the highest yield science content, but then having students really pick and choose where to focus their time based on their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and the MCAT channel allows students to do that. We're running literally uh, 20 or so hours of live MCAT instruction every week that all Kaplan students in a live instruction course can join whenever they can fit it into their schedule and can pick the episodes that are right for them. So when they're preparing for the biochemistry section, they can come attend sessions focused on specific biochemistry content. We have a session on blood and a session on enzymes. They can uh, prepare for the physics section by coming to our session on batteries or our session on kinematics. And the, the idea that students don't all need the same instruction to prepare for the same test for everyone, but that each student's individual strengths and weaknesses should guide their study plan. I think that's pretty revolutionary in uh, in the world of not just MCAT preparation, but in education in general. In fact, our online courseware for Kaplan students actually looks at your diagnostic performance and subsequent testing performance and actually gives individualized recommendations to each student for what homework assignments they should be doing between classes. Different for each student based on how they scored on 72 different content categories of practice material. And so that level of personalization just has the sort of necessary impact of being more efficient for each student. A student who's a biology major and has already aced their bio classes and mastered content, especially basic biology content like Krebs cycle and ATP, and they've got that down, there's no reason for that student to sit through several hours of intro bio lecture covering material that they already know. Engineering major who has been taking physics since they were 12 uh, and is uh, well-equipped to handle the 
first year of physics that's covered on the MCAT doesn't need to sit through those battery sessions or kinematic sessions uh, and should be focused on maybe more advanced physics concepts and also focused on other areas of opportunity across the test sections. I'm really excited about our ability now to help students really engage in test preparation that fits their individual needs, not just one size fits all for all Kaplan students. I think we've gotten good feedback from our students about that too. But to that point, the other thing we've done is we've been able to really rapid cycle our learning from the now tens of thousands of MCAT students who have taken Kaplan, gone on to test, and given us feedback around our programs, our curriculum, our practice tests even, and we've been able to bake that right back into our course. So we just launched this past fall the third edition of our MCAT books and the third edition of our MCAT course, literally rewriting our curriculum and rewriting uh, at least sections of our books uh, in response to feedback from students who have gone on to take the actual exam. And that's honestly something that Kaplan can do uniquely because of, you know, because we're the world leader in MCAT preparation. I'm glad that our students have other students that came before them to thank for the uh, the product innovations and improvements that we've been able to deploy. Uh, one last example of that, I mentioned realistic practice earlier. You know, I think there's been a lot of talk since the new exam launched about what makes for a really realistic practice test. And in the end, that's just a question of data. Because it is a scaled score, the reality is your practice tests as a test prep company are only as good as the data you have to inform, number one, whether at the item level you have the right psychometric performance of specific questions and answer choices. Are you know are the P-levels right? Are you getting the type of uh, uh, responses that you expect? Are you getting the right spread of difficulty based on how the student population that's been put through those paces has performed on individual test items? And also at the sequence and scoring scale level, what every test prep company is trying to do is match their scoring scale to what students would see on the actual test in terms of AMC scoring. The challenge is AMC doesn't offer that type of data for you to actually do so. So what you have to do is use your population to sort of try to predict what actual test takers will look like as a testing population. And that's another place where Kaplan is lucky. We have more data to bring to bear on that problem than anyone else. And because of that, I'm confident that our practice exams, while some students may find them harder or easier, remember, it's about what you're best prepared for in terms of your strengths and weaknesses, that overall, our practice exams are calibrated to be closer than anyone else's to the real thing because we simply have more students from the actual testing population giving us performance data on those exams. And more data means more precise replication of what the testing population will represent on test day. Great. Thank you for all that. One clarification with the MCAT channel. Is that a separate course or is that part of anything that you get at Kaplan? How do students get access to the MCAT channel? Yeah, great question, Ryan. It's uh, it's part of our live instruction and self-paced plus courses. So if you sign up for, we call it an in-person course where you're meeting with your core uh, lesson faculty member in an in-person classroom on a college campus or somewhere else near you, or our live online courses where you're meeting with a live instructor in a fully online virtual classroom, which by the way, is our highest rated delivery channel and also has the benefit of having off-camera instructors answering your questions in real-time chat. That also happens during the MCAT channel. These are live online programs, sessions where you can ask questions 
in real time, not just of the faculty member that's presenting, but also of additional expert MCAT instructors in the room there solely to answer your questions in real time, either publicly or privately. We have a lot of good feedback from students who like the idea of being able to be a little bit more anonymous with their questions in class and not having to speak up in front of the whole room. And so that has been a really effective addition to our learning environment. But then also we now have a self-paced plus program for all of our courses. We have a plus version of those courses that includes, in addition to the core instruction and you know over 540 hours of instruction and practice and all of the 14 full length tests that we offer, it also gives students three one-on-one hours of coaching with an MCAT expert that is personally assigned to help them make the best use of their study time and all of the Kaplan resources that we can offer. For our self-paced program, where the instruction is just recorded, self-paced plus version of that also includes the MCAT channel. So there's no way to purchase the MCAT channel as its own thing today. We actually think that would be, for now, doing students a disservice because it wouldn't include all of the strategy and test taking and practice that we're also able to offer in our comprehensive courses. But the the channel is a feature that all of our live instruction and self-paced plus students have access to. How do I decide if a prep course is right for me? Yeah, it's a good question. I'd mention first that prep courses provide more than just the instruction and practice, although there's a ton of value in the instruction and practice. Uh, What they provide is primarily structure and a sort of study plan that gives you a clear path to success. There are some students who would DIY home improvement, buy a fixer-upper and build it themselves, watch whatever they can on YouTube to learn how to, you know, I don't even know the terminology because I'm not one of these guys. I'm definitely a write-a-check guy, you know, to, to break down the walls and build them back up as they need. For those DIYers, there's a path to success on the MCAT where you go out and sort of cobble together the resources you need, do sort of self-diagnosis to better understand your strengths and weaknesses, and try to find ways to build not only the content review and this is key, not only the content review, but also the strategy for a test that fits patterns and is going to uh, have passage-based questions in a format that you haven't seen before in your other exams. But for many pre-med students, they just don't have the time for that. Or they wouldn't be self-motivated, not self-motivated at large, but self-motivated enough to get really into the detail of what's on the AMC blueprint, where do I need the most help, what resources should I go out and find that would help me with specific concepts, not just subject areas, but specific concepts that I'm going to see on test day. At Kaplan, we've done that homework for you. And not only have we done that for you, we've done that for tens of thousands of students who came before you, and we can bring that information to bear on your experience. And so I think that's a big decision point for students. Do I want to be part of a community and learn from those who have come before me? Or am I willing to sort of try it on my own and find my way through my preparation, making my own plan? By the way, if you're going to do that, start with really good books. And Kaplan has the best rated and best selling books for the MCAT. And that's a great starting point. In fact, our books also come with three full length practice tests if you buy our seven book set. Uh, So that's a great place to start in terms of, you know, even just getting a sense as to how you might fare on the exam before you dive into your preparation in earnest. Oh, and by the way, I have to get this in here on your podcast for your listeners. Kaplan also has an awesome starting line tuition assistance program. So for those students who just can't afford MCAT preparation, and this is true not just for MCAT, but for all of our graduate programs, graduate admissions tests, they should 
check it out. Just do a Google search for Kaplan Starting Line. Uh, there's a quick online application form. We get back to you within three days. It offers up to a 60% tuition assistance towards your course tuition with Kaplan based on financial need. So we're really trying to spread the word about that. Over the last two years, we've given out over a million dollars in aid to students through that tuition assistance program to help ensure that students who might not otherwise be able to afford it can you know, have access to our programs. Any last words of wisdom for the student out there struggling on their journey to conquer the MCAT? Yeah, I'll, I'll end with this, Ryan. I, I, I talk to a lot of students who are intimidated by the process who are intimidated by the exam. They um, don't know how they're going to fare and they are not sure if they're going to have what it takes even to, to get through this hurdle. Uh, and, and they really do think of it as a, as a hurdle, as an obstacle. Uh, the MCAT is the thing standing in my way of pursuing my dreams. And I think that's an unfortunate mentality that I, I would like to change for as many students as possible. The MCAT isn't an obstacle it's certainly not an arbitrary one, as we talked about earlier. It's really an opportunity. It's an opportunity, whether you have a 4.0 GPA or a 2.8 GPA, it's an opportunity for you to show medical schools that in one more way, coupled with the rest of your application, it's a, it's a way for you to show medical schools that you have what it takes to perform well in their programs, that you can buckle down and do the hard work of not only reviewing content as you'll have to do in medical school, but also learning how to take a test as you'll have to do in medical school. If you think about it that way, that you're not just getting past the MCAT, like it's the one thing standing in your way, but rather that this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity, by the way, that's a rite of passage that basically every licensed doctor over the last half century has had to go through, that it's an opportunity for you to really commit to that dream and build a set of skills that are going to serve you throughout that path. If you think about it that way, then it can be an exciting thing. It can be it's certainly something that I get excited about in terms of the outcomes that we're able to help our students get, not just in terms of their score, but you know, some of my favorite feedback from students after our course is, you know, I've never learned physics that way. Or I, I now feel like I could take on anything because I was able to conquer this test. That, that's the type of empowerment that the MCAT can represent for students, especially those students who might be feeling a little discouraged thinking about the, their path to med school. Absolutely. Let's, let's find a way to flip that around and, and get you excited about the opportunity to get not only a better score, but to build your skill set so that you're better prepared to learn in med school and, and become a great doctor. All right. So there you have it. That was, again, Eric Chu, the executive director of pre-health programs at Kaplan. You can check out everything that Kaplan is doing at captest.com. That's K-A-P-T-E-S-T. That's captest.com. I want to take a couple seconds and thank a few people that have left us ratings and reviews. If you haven't done so, you can do that at medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. We have one from Aquataru. Maybe that's how you say that. I don't know. It says, I highly recommend this podcast. This podcast has given me an in-depth and realistic insight into what it takes to become a physician. Thank you for that. The next one here, that's from Ruby Reds. It says, Valuable Asset. Love this podcast. I listen to it on my drives to school. Thank you for that, Ruby Reds. 
We have one more here from Carlene, encouraging and informative. I wasn't sure if I should ever, uh, if I should even consider med school with where I am in life, but this podcast, as well as the old pre-med podcast, has been so encouraging and extremely helpful. I've gained confidence, clarity, and conviction to pursue my dreams, no matter what my age. All right, thank you for that, Carlene. If you would like to leave a rating and review, again, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. Thank you, Eric, for coming on the show and talking about the MCAT and everything that Kaplan has to offer. Again, if you're interested in Kaplan, go check out captest.com. And don't forget, subscribe to us on your iPhone, on your Android device, on your tablet, wherever you may be. Subscribe so that you can get this podcast every week for free on your device. Don't miss us, and we'll see you next week here at the Medical School Headquarters and the Pre-Med Years Podcast. (laughs) 